Ever hear of getting lifetime cash from the government? Well, guess what? Here are some tips, tricks, and resources from both sides of the desk. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Stay tuned. There's a lot more in store. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional, and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello everybody, it's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And we have a really interesting show today. It's dealing with a topic that we're probably somewhat familiar with, but not 100% sure of what to do at times with our folks. And that's the issue of Social Security. Now, if you're collecting Social Security right now yourself, that's one issue. But we're going to deal with a number of concerns and challenges in just helping our parents manage some of their assets as it relates to Social Security benefits and what to expect. And we'll include some of our own as well, even if you haven't gotten there, because it's an important subject to address. My guest here today, or my guests here today, are Mark Kiner. Mark is a licensed CPA with 35 years of experience in public accounting, and he's dealt with really focusing on the complex issues of not just taxation, but Social Security and the whole ball of wax, which sort of comes together in one hopefully neat ball, but sometimes really messy too. And then we have Jim Blair, his partner and colleague, who is a former Social Security administrator also with 35 years of experience in helping individuals manage the whole issue of Social Security benefits, taking claims for retirement, survivors, disability, health insurance, and the list goes on. And most recently, he served as an operations supervisor in one of the districts in the great state of Ohio. So we have two great experts, and it's a pleasure to have you both here with me today, Jim and Mark. Thank you. Our pleasure, Nancy. Thanks so much for having us and giving us the opportunity to just talk about Social Security. We're so passionate about it. Well, I'm glad somebody is because it's just like one more thing to deal with the government as far as I'm concerned. Like, ay, 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 right? <laughs> but if they're going to hand out money, I'm going to take it or I'm going to take it from mom and dad. So why not? And we've worked for it all our lives. Now, I'm going to start just real quickly from doing some research since I'm, I wasn't born when President Roosevelt was around. <laughs> I understand that he was the one who actually instigated Social Security to help the concern of the number of seniors who were dealing with poverty issues. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, that is correct. Uh, it was signed into law August 14, 1935. So... On August 14th of 2023, I believe Social Security is going to celebrate its 88th birthday. Whoa, that yeah. is, that's great. And we, of course, we always have some concern about, is it going to be around anymore? But we'll talk about that a little bit too. You know, Nancy, to your point, uh, when, before Social Security started, and this may be the reason that President Roosevelt went this direction, over half of our seniors had income under the poverty level. Really? Wow. And even though Social Security never was meant to be someone's sole source of income, 
for a lot of people it is even today about 40 percent of the people that receive social security that is their only source of income but the poverty rate for seniors now is less than nine and a half percent under the poverty rate so it's a huge program it makes a big difference in a lot of people's lives uh, it's a difference between uh, having a place to live being able to afford groceries and maybe your medications as opposed to living on the street. So uh, it's a program that we don't want to see go any direction but uh, to solvency. And uh, I think that it will. And, and I know you said we talk about that yeah. a little bit, but it, it is a very, very important program. I would agree with you. It certainly helped my parents and it helped me for, for them provide the kind of care that they needed so that they were safe you know, among other things, they had investments and, and other income, but still that little extra bit made a huge difference in the quality of care that I was able to make sure that, that they had. Now, Mark and I, you had talked earlier about when people sign up for Social Security, and that can make a difference in the amount of money that they receive every month. And I did some research and found that the highest check out there is a little over... $3,300, I guess, is what Social Security will pay out per month. But in order to do that, I mean, first of all, you have to be earning a pretty good amount over the course of your lifetime, I would imagine. And two, it's knowing when to actually initially sign up for those Social Security benefits. Is that correct? Well, Nancy, we compute the highest benefit at full retirement age to be maybe closer to thirty-five to 3600 Really? You know, okay. Give or take a little bit. But that's only at full retirement age, Nancy. Okay. What if somebody waited until age 70? Now the benefit might have gone up 32% for delayed retirement credits if their full retirement age is 66. And if their full retirement age is 67, then it went up by 24%. So it could easily be $4,000 if you wait all the way up to age 70. Wow. I did not know that. My dad was, I think, at about 2300 My mom was about 1100 but her earning potential or income, you know, her well, the money that she made in the course of her life was less than my dad's, which is pretty typical for I'll call it the elderly, sort of the 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 greater generation that's that's out there, even the beginning of the baby boomer generation that's out there right now. Correct, and you're right. At somebody's full retirement age, that's when they'll receive 100% of their benefit. Uh, and my full retirement age, Nancy, is 66 and four months because I was born in 1956. And how does somebody determine their full retirement age? There's a chart that's published by the Social Security Administration. For folks born uh, in 1960 or later, their full retirement age is 67. Okay. So we'll put a note or a link to that particular chart in the episode notes so everybody has a chance to take a look at it. But if you're taking care of a parent, chances are that ship has sailed. They've already taken it. <laughs> so let's dive into some of the things that we can do to either maximize the the options or the benefits there, if possible, Jim, because you've got a different inside picture. Is there a way to actually change the amount of money that our parents get from Social Security? Or not? Not really. The You do have an opportunity in the very first year of receiving benefits where you can withdraw your application. Now, the problem with withdrawing your application is you have to pay all the money back they paid you. Oh, oh, that's not that's that's hard, right? Because you've already paid taxes on it. Yeah, that's that's the difficult part. So 
if you withdraw, you pay the money back, but the net result is as if you never applied in the first place. After that year has passed, you no longer have the opportunity to withdraw. And so the pretty much the benefits you're receiving is what you're going to receive. And they won't increase unless we have a cost of living adjustment, which pretty much is every year. We've had three years without one, but it's only three years since 1975. Of course, I say that it's also only it's three times since 2010. So it, it, it is a fairly recent phenomenon, but uh, some work may increase your benefit, but even if it does, it doesn't increase it a whole lot. So generally speaking, once you begin your benefits, that's what you're going to receive. It will be increased for cost of living adjustments, but that's that's about it. My, da- my dad was you know, a smart man, but scared to death of paying more. Actually, not scared to death. He did not want to pay a penny more in taxes to the government than he had to. So he figured, well, I'm retired. That's it. I'll take Social Security. I'll save every nickel and dime. And he was afraid to work in any way, shape or form for money. He did a lot of volunteer work. If somebody had the capacity to work part-time and was physically capable, like I said, capacity physically, physically capable to do so, could they still do that and collect Social Security? Yes, depending on their age and and also depending on the amount they earn. So if you're under your full retirement age, if you work and draw Social Security at the same time, then if you earn over a certain amount, this year that's $21,240. So we're talking Social Security disability then if you're under the full retirement age. Is that correct? or? Well, no, you can draw retirement at as early as age 62. Okay, all right. So, but it's reduced, right. reduced for age. And if you're not full retirement age and you earn over $21,240, Social Security is going to hold back $1 benefits for every $2 you exceed that amount. Oh, that, that's a lot. It is. The year you reach full retirement age, two things happen. The amount you're allowed to earn goes up, goes up to 56520 and they only withhold $1 for every three you go over. But more importantly, the month you reach your full retirement age, there's no longer an earnings test. Oh. Starting with full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want, or I don't know if we ever earn as much as we want, but as much as you can, and you can still draw your Social Security benefits. So uh, Warren Buffett is doing, uh, earning a little extra lunch money for McDonald's, the place that he likes to go hang out at. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's he's probably earning a few dollars, uh, you might think, but he's still drawing his Social Security benefit. Very, or, very or interesting. Can. Yeah. So one of the issues that I know about, because we dealt it with it with my folks, is that when my dad passed, my dad was earning more in Social Security than my mother, and we were a, his Social Security checks stopped immediately. I know sometimes they don't always do that, and so that they'll come back and. I'll say do it a drawback or a clawback on the cash that might have happened and been released past the date of death, right? But my mom was only making about $1,100 a month from Social Security. So we had to take her into the Social Security Department to get the benefits. So spousal benefits is what I'm talking about. And some people may not know about this. That's why I'm bringing it up. Would you explain what happens when a spouse passes 
and how the transfer or the change in Social Security benefits can work to the advantage of the remaining spouse. The surviving spouse is going to be eligible uh, if they're full retirement age or older, they're going to be eligible for 100% of what the deceased was receiving if they weren't receiving yet what they would have been eligible to receive. Now, this is not in addition to, obviously, it, well, not, it may not be obvious to other, but it's in exchange for, correct? Correct. You were just received the higher of the two benefits. So if you're receiving a benefit, your spouse passes away and they were receiving more, you stop receiving your own and you start receiving the survivor benefit. Which is exactly what happened with my mom. The challenge there for us was that this was just sort of on the early stages of COVID breaking out, and she had dementia, so high levels of anxiety, and getting her to the physical Social Security office, and first of all, just even getting the appointment. So we made the appointment, I flew down, and then sat with her for, I think it was like, three or four hours waiting for our turn in line, which was tough. But once we got to the front desk or the desk with that called her, the Social Security employee, they were fast. They were kind. They were really, they said, okay, we see it's your mom. You can take her out now. We'll just deal with you. But you had mentioned, Jim, earlier before we got on the call, you can become a representative payee for a parent. How do you do that? If someone becomes unable to manage their own benefits, then you file to be their representative payee. There's a form you fill out with the Social Security Administration, and they will look to see if the individual is in fact unable to manage their own benefit. They will oftentimes get a, a medical report, but the person in the Social Security office still has to observe that person and make a determination. So what happens if they're bed bound and you can't get them out? There are some situations where Social Security will make a home visit and that's becoming less and less uh, as time goes on. It seems like they, they don't want to do these home visits anymore. But if worst case scenario, they could could make a home visit if they needed to. So I've never heard of the, the Social Security office or department making house calls, but that's... <laughs> I, I, I did that a few times when I worked there. So it, it was interesting going to people's homes. And then once you become representative payee, you can take care of social security business for those individuals. Now, if it's a parent, then it's a little easier to become the representative payee than if you're just somebody's neighbor, because they know a child is going to have hopefully the parents interest at heart more so than than someone else now it doesn't mean the neighbor wouldn't but you know that's the way that that they're going to look at that so you file to be the payee if you're approved you can handle the business with the social security administration sometimes that doesn't happen because people's checks are direct deposited now and you can be on the bank account and so you could handle the money for your parents once it hits the bank account then Social Security no longer has any control. But if you need to take care of business in front of Social Security for your parent, you're not going to be able to do it in that situation. So finding a representative to be representative pay is important. Also, as representative payee, you have to account for what you did with the money. 
they're not just going to turn you loose. Versus just being on the bank account, because what we did was I was on my parents' bank account and the money went into their direct deposit in their account so I could manage it for them as their POA and I managed all their financial, medical, and, and legal affairs. And that was set up legally through all the right regulations and, and rules and wills and trusts and whatnot. But uh, it made our lives a lot easier versus having to go back. But I did bring a, a POA and all the will and documentation to the Social Security office to back up everything with mom at, at the same time, which I think was probably helpful. And I always came with all that stuff just in case because you just never know. You don't want to be, like they say, SOL <laughs> to do it again. <laughs> right. That, that is true. Uh, now, technically, Social Security doesn't recognize power of attorney. Interesting. But it does give them an idea that your parent trusted you to give you power of attorney. So it, it's a good step in the right direction for, for when they make their selection. But it's, it's important if your parent's unable to manage your own funds, at some point you're going to need to contact Social Security. Now, you did talk about what do you do in the case where uh, an individual becomes a widow or widower and needs to file on the deceased individual's work record. In very few situations, at least today, it's an automatic conversion to those benefits. But that's only if the surviving spouse was receiving as a spouse off of the deceased individual's work record. They didn't have their own work history. Uh, and so the Social Security they received were strictly spousal benefits. Uh, they will automatically convert those to widows or widowers benefits when they when social security receives notification of death but you still have to go in and go through all i mean that's what we did they got notification of death which happens pretty quickly with your medicare plan i'm, I'm presuming that's mark you i'll have you step in here similar kind of thing i mean once the once the uh the medicaid well social security office knows about death because if you're dealing with this Ideally, your attorney, if you're dealing with a trust and estates attorney, that's who filed all the information for us. And it, it happened pretty quickly and automatically, which was very helpful. So it took one more thing off my desk or my table to have to do. But Well, well let me say, say one thing. Nancy, all these questions are really good for Jim. Jim worked for the Social Security Administration for 35 years, so he knows a lot about the inner workings of SSA a lot more than I do. But the so family side on the outside is a whole nother story, which is what I want to hear from you, because it's different when we're taking care of these things ourselves. Didn't quite hear the question. Oh, I said, so this is a little different when we're taking things, taking care of things ourselves, because we have to work with our our financial advisors at the same time to understand what's going on and the the lovely people inside of the Social Security Administration, Jim included, are yes, great at my, what they do. Uh-huh. But we're we're on the other side of the desk and True. kind of and I I can talk about that aspect of Social Security. That you know that's why we teach our class. It's an eight hour class and we focus on situational social security and how to ask those probing questions yeah give me give me the i call it the pain well i'll just be blunt the pain in the ass scenarios right (laughs) well there are 76 million baby boomers out there right and a huge myth is that the the smiling representatives just imagine jim jim blair smiling if you can oh i can do that (laughs) 
they, they, they will take your application. Just don't expect any guidance or advice. The representatives have been directed by their boss, the commis commissioner in Baltimore, not to, re not to review options with people. And when really? GM worked for SSA, there were about 85,000 employees. Now it's closer to 70,000. So people like Jim Blair, are 30 to 35 year veterans, have walked out the door. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. So the the old adage where it says they say that delay is the you know the, I guess the deadliest form of denial or denial is the deadliest form of delay, whatever it ever, ever it is. So the the longer they hold off, the less they have to serve you. Is that correct? Or well, are we thinking that the government's you... evil and in, in that side? <laughs> Jim, go for it, buddy. Yeah, it's you're not uh, unless you delay a long time, you're not going to lose any benefits, and and that's not what they're looking at. They don't give you advice on on what to do because they don't know you the person's financial situation. Uh, they don't know about their other sources of income and and that type of thing. So I do agree with with that position that they have to some degree. Uh, they do need to talk to people about all the various options that they have within the social security benefits and let people know uh, what you can file for, what you're eligible for and let them make the decision. But in particularly, I used to say they did a real good job with survivor benefits with widows and widowers. And then I read an inspector general report that said that they were doing a terrible job and there were people out there losing money. And so, I was very disappointed at that because you do have different options for filing for benefits. Now, one thing you did mention, Social Security finds out pretty quick about someone's yep. uh, death, and that's because they do have it set up where funeral directors notify their states when someone passes away. The states all then immediately notify Social Security. That yep. happens as soon as they pick up a body or, or even their call exactly. sometimes. It happened with us. Yes. Right. And then what happens is they'll, they'll stop the benefits. And that usually gets people into the office. So when you stop getting money, <laughs> uh, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't get paid this month. I got to go in that. and see what's going on. So I don't think it's too much of a problem of people being delayed. It, it used to be a problem because we didn't have computers like we do right. now. And so things didn't happen quite as quickly as they do now. And, and we could have delays. So I have to say that it was retroactive as soon as we got my mom officially signed up, although my dad had passed several months earlier in order to get in. It took us some time because I was 1,200 miles away and to set everything up. She was still getting her checks, but the benefit of dad's was, you know, an extra thousand dollars, which made a difference in the course of the quality of her care or the course of her care. But it was retroactive. So everything came back in in a lump sum to the date of my father's death, which right. was very helpful to know. So anybody listening, just although it may take a while, it, you will get it. But but Mark, let's go back to some of the things that you are dealing with to help people with as well, because you understand also tax implications and other things that are going on in somebody's lives as it relates to Social Security, Social Security disability, how it changes and, you know, life goes on that way. So when we when we do consultation for folks, we will look at the family unit and and use a Social Security software tool to determine what their Social Security options might be. 
all the consultation is done with big guy Jim because right. he enjoys meeting w with our clients to talk to them about their social security strategies. But Jim could be meeting with like 10 different married couples and they all may have uh, different strategies and options available to them because no one is exactly the same. Hmm. Yeah, you could have a married couple that could be close in age, far apart in age. Maybe you have the wife who's older. Maybe she's the main breadwinner, but quite possibly the husband doesn't have any earnings at all. So every married couple will have different options available to them. So we look at what we call situational social security, which means that folks are just in so many different situations when it comes to the social security benefits. For example, they may be single, married, public employees, they may still be able to file that restricted application. Uh, we may have to factor in some young kids. There could be a possibility that you're working with a, an ex-spouse, like you mentioned uh, earlier right. today, or trying to collect as a surviving spouse. And there's always an opportunity to go back six months and get a nice lump sum check if you're over full retirement age. So we really do focus on situational social security when we teach our class and also when we meet with clients. So you had mentioned about divorce and an insurance agent provider fellow that I know had mentioned that he helps a lot of women who had been divorced and didn't realize that they could actually collect on the social security of their spouse. Correct. Their ex-spouse. But that ha you have to have been married at least 10 years, if, if I'm correct on that one. My question there is, let's say you, mom was married before. She was married to somebody else for 10 years. That was not your father. And then all of a sudden, she's married somebody else who is your father. Can she still benefit from the ex-spouse's Social Security, even though she's married to somebody else now? In order to collect off of a living ex-spouse, you must be single. So... Ah, Let's say okay. I'm divorced from my ex-wife to collect off me. She must be single to collect off my work record. I could be remarried, but she must be single. So if she's single and the ex-spouse is still alive, mm -hmm. she can still collect your Social Security? That guy doesn't have to be dead? Correct. She can collect off my work record. I do not have to be de deceased. Whoa. I might have to be collecting a benefit for her to collect off me if we've been divorced for less than two years. But if you've been divorced for two years or longer, that requirement that I be collecting a benefit goes away. And there's no other restriction on the ex-wife as far as workload or, uh, or any other no. than just remarrying? No, there is. My ex-spouse must be at least age 62, number one. Okay. And of course, the earnings test will apply. So she's making $100,000 a year. She won't be able to collect that off of my work record because her earnings are way too high if she's not working unless you're like six well, feet under. well no okay well let me just say this everyone is subject to the earnings test if they're receiving a benefit prior to reaching the month of turning full retirement age okay if i'm deceased then my ex-spouse can still collect off me as a surviving divorced spouse beginning as early as age 60 as a matter of fact doesn't have to wait to age 62. Ah. Uh, and still the earnings test applies. There's no such thing as the death exception. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was a creep and he died early. Like, oh, <laughs> this goes on. So if my ex-wife is making 100000 bucks, 
their earnings sales will completely wipe out what she can collect off my until work she is eligible for Social Security full benefits herself. Is that correct? Her, her, her full but she still age. needs to be unmarried in order to still collect off of you, even though you've deceased. Well, it's a little different there. If uh, the surviving spouse remarries after reaching age 60, mm -hmm. then they can continue to collect a surviving spouse benefit. My uh, ex-wife and I are out there and I pass away and she decides to get remarried at age 59, then she won't be able to collect anything off my work record. She must wait to age 60 to collect a surviving spouse benefit off me to get remarried. So she can just fool around for an extra year or so, right? <laughs> her, hopefully her advisor would tell her otherwise, not, not what you're saying, but would tell her that she needs to wait until 860. Hopefully her advisor would tell her that, but probably not. They may not so know. So we're talking about women, divorcees. What about men? Because a lot of women now are out earning their husbands. How does that impact them or does it? Social Security is gender neutral, so it doesn't matter. Uh, they look at the earnings of each individual. The lower earner can draw as a spouse off of the higher earner. Or if uh, a male has their spouse passes away, they can draw as a widower off of their work record. But if, if the spouse or the ex-spouse is alive and a higher earner and... They can, the, can the man collect off his ex-wife? Now, you have to take your own benefit first. Right, so you take your own benefit. So you're not doubling your benefit in that case, right? right? You're still taking but the higher if, versus the double benefit. Right, but if you're the lower earner and your benefit at full retirement age is less than half of your ex-spouse's, then yes, the male could draw off of his ex-wife's work record. And it doesn't impact the financial benefits of the other spouse no good news is the ex-spousal benefits has no effect on the number holder the person they're drawing off of or if anybody else is drawing off of their work record so it wouldn't affect your ex's current spouse benefit either that's pretty interesting i hadn't heard that before so my folks were married for 60 almost 65 years they missed their 65th wedding anniversary by uh, my dad passed a, like about a week before unfortunately but it was a long long good marriage and lucky for us my sister and i <laughs> but not so much for everybody else now i understand there's some changes that are going on in social security in 2023 the one was the cost of living that i saw that's being increased by 8.7 percent is that correct yes that is correct an 8.7 percent increase that is applied to the december benefit which was received in January of this year. So it's just the December benefits, not throughout the entire year? Or it's not month by month? No, no, I didn't say that. No. The 8.7% increase is applied to the December benefit, which is paid in January, but it continues for the whole that's, year. That's what I thought. I, yeah, the way you said it, it, I just wanted to clarify yeah. that. So that's interesting. Are there any other new changes that we need to look at going forward in this, in this next year? We do know that the restricted application is on its way out. That allows you to, to claim benefits off your spouse while you're waiting until you're until age 70 to claim. Mm -hmm. And it's on its way out because at the end of 2023, nobody will be able to file a restricted application anymore because you have, must have been born by the magic birth date of 1-1 one, one of 54. Okay. So, you know, it's not a major change anymore because not many people can really utilize that strategy. Our guess is 5 to 7, maybe 8% of our clients can still file a restricted application because with every passing month, Nancy, it just 
then the percentage, it just continues to drop. Sure. So that's different. And like Jim indicated, the annual earnings test is higher now, 21,240 and 56,520. Is that right, Jim? That's correct. And the higher earnings test applies in the year that you turn your full retirement age. It's not a lot of income when you think about it, if you need to, you know, that stress test there. At least 21,000 isn't a whole no. lot, but at least 56,000. Well, depending upon yeah. where you're living. and Well, it's true. Right? In Cincinnati, it's a pretty good income. New York City, maybe. Yeah, not. definitely, definitely not Manhattan. Yeah. But, you know, been there, yeah. done that. It's like, no, that might get you a monthly train pass from Connecticut and into the city and, and maybe a cup of coffee on the way. <laughs> <That's about it>. mm-hmm. <laughs> so are there changes that we need to really worry about going forward as you see the strength of Social Security? Do you, do you think it's even going to be, out, I'll say outlawed for lack of better description, where it's just going to go away? And what are the chances of that actually happening? It's never going to go away. Worst, very worst case scenario, if nothing is done, then Social Security currently has a surplus. That's expected to be depleted by about 2034 or so. And when that's gone, if they've made no changes, everybody would see about a 20% pay cut. Oh, that, that can but hurt a lot of people. Yep. That could be very painful. But that means there's still, you know, people are still working. They're still paying Social Security tax. That's the majority of the revenue for the Social Security Administration. We're paying income tax on Social Security benefits. A lot of people do. The good news for that is that the Social Security Administration gets credit for that money. Mm -hmm. It goes into the trust fund. So that helps. But those two things together will not cover the obligations once the surplus is gone. And so I don't expect that to happen. I mean, are you going to vote for somebody that gives you a 20% pay cut? All those people in Congress would be out of a job and they're not about to let that happen. So changes will... I'm not at the Social Security collection stage yet, but yeah, probably, hell no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got you not. there. So they will make the change. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be later rather than sooner, probably closer to the 2030s than uh, I would be... I was hopeful that they were going to do this about 10, 15 years ago. Because <laughs> the sooner they would have done it, the less painful it would be for people. Right. But there are some proposals on the table, raising the full retirement age to 70. That's in almost every proposal. And increasing the dollar amount that people, their earnings that you pay Social Security tax on. And according to the people that are supposed to know things, if they raise the the cap on your Social Security tax to about 250000 and raise the full retirement age to 70, that would pretty much take care of about 95 to 97% of the deficit that Social Security is looking at. So we're probably looking at some things along those lines, a little bit of means testing for the higher earners, probably by that meaning a change in how their benefits computed. But the changes will be made. I'm, I'm confident of that. We were there before in the late 70s, early 80s. Congress and the president then were able to get together. Those changes are affecting anybody listening to this podcast. That's when they raised the full retirement age from 65 to 67. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, does that mean it'll go from 67 to 70 overnight? Probably not. Took 22 years to move it from 65 to 67. Probably something similar. I won't hold my breath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um, Mark, are there any other final things you think we need to to discuss at this point 
what actually caught my attention early on in our discussion was you said you sit down with couples and talk about a social security strategy. And that's not something I've ever heard anybody talk about before. We talk about retirement strategy, investments, savings, where you're going to live, how you're going to cover all these costs. But I've never heard anybody say that they bring social security in as a specific target of a strategy in its of itself, which I think is fascinating. Well, the problem is most folks do not understand that they do have options in reference to claiming their, their benefits. And, and so they don't, they just go down to Social Security when they're age 62 or even when they're full retirement age and they just say they want to apply for benefits. But that will have an impact in reference to when is a spousal benefit paid. If one is payable at all, you never know for sure. If the husband's the higher earner, does he claim at full retirement age or does he wait to age 70? That decision will impact a couple things. Will impact when a spousal benefit is payable to his, mm-hmm. his wife. It will also impact how much is going to be the, the widow benefit when he's gone. So people don't know they have strategies and options available to them. That's why they really do need to meet with a financial advisor or just some advisor that knows a lot about Social Security and not just uh, trying to provide just basic advice. Also, folks need to know that a huge myth, Nancy, is you go down to Social Security and they're going to give you, they're going to provide you with advice and guidance. That's just not going to happen. You've been paying into the system for 20, 30, 40 years. There's no one assigned to you, so uh, so people need to take their own responsibility uh, and, and review what their options are. At least they need to take control. It doesn't mean that they need to have the answers, but they need to go to somebody who can really help them along the way. So it's what you're you're saying is just also an understanding. Same thing goes with the IRS. You don't go down to the IRS department and say, "I need help in tax planning, please." show me how not to pay taxes. Yeah, right. <laughs> not going to work. You can say, yeah, I think at one time the IRS did offer the opportunity to to let the IRS help you file a tax Correct. return. I think they did that at one time. Yeah, SSA will help you apply. Well, it's... That's about all they're going to do is just help you apply. You have to make the decision beforehand. So I'm going to sort of wrap this up here with a note to listeners. Even if you, if your folks have been taking Social Security benefits for a long time, understand what the the benefits are should one or the other pass. Or if there was a divorce at some point, the list goes on. There are a few things that you can talk to Mark and Jim about, and I'll put access to their contact information in the episode notes as well. But I think more importantly is if you're on the very early stage of even starting to have a conversation with your folks about who's going to be the the designation or the point of designation to help your parents with their care when needed, and they haven't reached Social Security age, now is the time to say, hey, mom, dad, have you ever thought about including this in your just overall long-term strategy? How do you make those decisions or if you just started taking it a year out, maybe now's the time to think about this a little bit more because a few dollars here today might be great, but a few dollars more later on might be better. So the note is to early stage caregivers or before you get on that journey and you're just thinking about it, as I call it, that's stage one, now's the time to start having that conversation and even thinking about it yourself. I don't think there can be 
you can start too soon to think about what that's going to happen in your own life. And any final parting words, Jim and Mark? Yeah, I, Social Security is an important benefit for people. We plan for everything. Make sure you plan for these benefits as well. It's a lifetime benefit you're going to receive. Once you start to, to get those, you'll receive the rest of your life. Sometimes a joint lifetime benefit if your spouse steps into your shoes when you pass. Make sure you do it right and, uh, and look into it before you file. Don't give away the money that you uh, are due or you've earned. And why not? right? Exactly. So this is terrific. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have two experts here with me, Jim, who has been on the inside, or Jim Blair, who's the inside guy, you know, our eyes and ears inside the, on the other side of the desk, and Mark, who knows all the other stuff on our side of the desk. Well, now they're kind of both on our side of the desk. So I appreciate your time and your energy and everything you're doing for helping us. So thanks so much, Mark Kiner and Jim Blair. For additional information, you'll have all the notes that you need and and the access points in the episode notes. And just one more thing before you go, because if you like this show, as I always like to say, please share it with a friend, because the information that we're sharing here is valuable to so many people, including yourselves. And it may not be just a family member, but it could be a friend, it could be a cousin, it could be an uncle, it could be somebody over here at work. And... It's your gift to them to pass it along. And this is my gift to you. So thanks. That's it for today and doing your best with elder care success. We'll see you soon. Or as I like to say, we'll hear you soon. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright, Caremanity, LLC.